You're watching the Letterman podcast with Mike Chisholm, endorsed by the Hello Deli. Yeah. <laughs> la, 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 la. Welcome once again to the Letterman podcast. My name is Mike Chisholm. Happy New Year, 2023. Um, last year, if I annoyed you, saying. I can't believe it's 2022 and it's a good time to be a David Letterman fan. Well, now it's time for me to annoy you by saying it's 2023 and really good. It's a good time to be a David Letterman fan. I certainly feel that way. Um, I'm excited for this episode. No surprise to anybody, I suppose. Uh, no, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really stoked about this episode. Um, before we get to our guest is David Kay, who was the executive in charge of audience development. This is um, a story within a story, within a story. Um, there's all sorts of tales within the Letterman mythos, uh, behind the scenes things. Uh, I don't know how interested people are going to be in this uh, particular one. I personally was because for the late show, um, the idea of the audience, uh, gigantic theater, you know, five times a week uh, being filled with um, the right people uh, was a huge concern for the show. And again, we're not in a television studio. We're in a Broadway theater. So David Kay uh, came to work for The Late Show in 1998 when there was a huge need. Um, and then he uh, did not leave basically right until the very end, right until the end of 2015. Um, Taylor made uh, uh, an audience um, coordination program that uh, many of us, and we've talked about it before too. Like we've talked about, you know, um, uh, getting into the show and, 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 and uh, as Dave put it, I think once the indoctrination process, I still haven't found out where that quote is from, but I'm going to, I'm going to go find it. Anyway, David K. Um, I'm really, really excited to have had this conversation with him. We go deep on the audience of the late show. Uh, I'm going to read a letter from one of the executives about David Kay um, after the show ended that he could use as a reference if he wanted to. I'm going to read a little bit about him and how well he was thought of and just uh, very interesting. So this uh, executive said this, while the show's success was yielding large quantities of prospective audience members, we were finding that ironically, that very popularity was turning the show into a tourist attraction more than a destination for fans. In short, we were filling the seats, but not with people who understood the show's sensibility and who were longtime enthusiasts. Before David Kay arrived, there were numerous attempts at adjusting the way we got our audience. Nothing worked. I had just about lost hope when David Kay calmly listened, really listened to our needs and went to work. Truly, it was a thing to behold. Under great pressure to succeed quickly, David devised an intricate system combining different avenues for finding audience members, write-in ticket requests, box office walk-ups, groups, and many others. Additionally, he hired and trained staff to deal with all the things audience-related. Everything from finding audience members to greeting them upon arrival to seating them to getting them warmed up for showtime. Like an expert chef, step-by-step, step, he tinkered, perfected, ultimately systemized a process that had heretofore... This executive used the word heretofore. How cool is that? Anyway... Um, <laughs> like an expert chef, step-by-step, step, he tinkered, perfected, and ultimately systemized process that had heretofore been untrustworthy at best, chaotic at worst. David is a perfectionist, and he still strives to make improvements day after day in how we do things. 
I really can't recommend David any more highly. He has been an absolute MVP here for a decade and a half, and I credit him with providing an extraordinary, crucial element to each night's broadcast. He is a professional, whip-smart, conscientious, and by the way, a loving and nice man. The last part is crucial in a work environment, let alone one of high such high pressure. There's a little bit before and a little bit after that as well, but you get the picture. This is who, um, and very cl clearly, once the conversation begins here, you will see what we're talking about. Um, this is a guy that has gone deep on audience coordination, uh, came in for a two-week stint uh, as a consultant, basically didn't leave until the end of the late show. That was in 98. Basically didn't leave till the end of the late show in 2015. And um, lots of lots of meat on the bone. The one thing, if I was to change one thing about this episode, um, we really did a good job of setting the table of how the program worked and, and, and the in, uh, intricate nature behind the scenes of uh, creating the audience uh, for each episode of the late show and how they did it and this, the, 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 the systemization and the skeleton of that. We did a great job of that. What we didn't talk about um, enough were stories about outrageous audience members or mishaps or things like that, which, by the way, David has a lot of those, too. So the next time we've done a good job of setting the table for the next time. Um, I'm very grateful that David K came on here. Uh, very conscientious. I've actually been trying to get him here for a while. Uh, his name came up in the Mark Malkov episode. You might remember that. But, um, you know, he is really... Um, respectful of the show and he wanted to make sure that our show this show here the letterman podcast uh was also respectful of the show he didn't want to come on to something that was um in any way could tarnish uh or be deflammatory in any any way shape or form so very very uh grateful that he came on board um he and i developed a rapport um which is of course everything that I, I i love that i love when i can develop rapport with the guests and we can kind of build a relationship outside of the show as well. Uh, David certainly is that. And I will just throw this out there too. Um, he kind of worked himself into a corner being so good at what he did for the late show. Um, if any, uh, you know, it, he customized this amazing program um, and really hasn't had a job in audience coordination since then. So if there's anybody out there who hears this show, hears this show or sees this show and uh, needs an audience um, scientist, because that's really what David is, uh, reach out to David. Now, I've got one little more piece of business beforehand. Uh, you might remember in the last intro to Jeremy Weiner's episode, we messaged Steve Young. I made a joke about Mighty Steve Young, and I thought, oh, I wonder if he was a wrestler, if that would be his wrestling name. So we messaged Steve Young real time, got a message back from him. Uh, if Steve Young were to be a wrestler, he said his name would be Big Mean Stevie. So we're not going to send a message out for this intro because it's already too long. Uh, I want to get to the show. Without further ado, the Letterman Podcast is proud to present audience coordination executive, David Kay. So what was your title really? Because, um, I mean, this is the most, I, I, if there's one area of late show and the production of things that I think is more... Um, maybe maybe not as known or more confused than any. It is your department, and it was a department. So, what was your uh, your official title? Well, it was executive in charge of audience development. But uh, you are right; it is extremely uh, confusing. Um, <laughs> confusing, not to me, I hope, um, but confusing to people on the outside of the show 
because it was so unprecedented. It was so unique because those were the needs of the show. I mean, if it weren't for that, then I wouldn't have been asked to, you know, they wouldn't have flown me in from Los Angeles for two weeks um, if anybody could have done what they do for most shows. And yeah. so um, it was the unique requirements of this show that kind of set it apart in terms of what we did. It was more science, um, more science than yeah. actual filling an audience because most of the time that job involves putting bodies in seats and this nothing could have been further from the truth that was the problem before I got there was right. putting putting bodies in seats and those bodies in seats didn't um often didn't get Dave's unique brand of humor right and consequently there would be silence when that same exact material in front of the right audience would kill. Yes. And it really, and, and absent that, it really would kill the vibe of the show. Yeah. Um, and it would also negatively impact Dave in terms of his, um, his, his ability to feel free to improvise and play with that audience because sure. it, it, it was the perception that they didn't want to play back. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate I, I'm so grateful that we get to talk about this aspect of of late show. Um, it, it's funny, I, in your intro, I read uh, some of those comments that were that were written about you and, 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 and the um, unbelievable uh, job you did. Further before that, though, there was there was another set of comments that I could have read where it talked about the first few years. And, and and without you know, it basically said, "Hey, we had a we had an issue. Uh, that's where the comment started. You and I had almost given up hope. And the issue was exactly what you're talking about here. Eddie Brill, uh, we've had him on twice. You know, he would talk about we, lovingly saying a good audience versus a bad audience. And I think that you've done a really good job of saying an appropriate audience for the right time, the right place, the right material that it would punch. The audience had a role. I mean, it, it and and it was a different role." than maybe most late night shows. I mean, you're not in a studio anymore with 150 or whatever. You're in a theater, a Broadway theater in New York between four and 500 seats. Um, it's cavernous. And, and, and when it works, boy, does it work in that theater. But if it doesn't, that can be a problem too. And so you want to make sure you've got everything, the right crew, the right set, the right lighting, the right, all of these things. But the audience was a crucial part of this and you showed up in 98 so the, the the momentum was 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 gigantic uh you know dave the most talked about man in 1992 1993 the most talked about man in entertainment moves over you guys are going great guns for a few years and then that's when the tweaks needed to start happening you were brought in as one of those tweaks without throwing anybody under any buses david what were um when you got there you were brought in as a consultant i guess before we even get to that why did they call you? What were you doing at the time that brought you uh, from LA to New York? Because it was originally, it was a two week deal, right? And then you ended up staying 15 years or longer. Uh, yeah, close to 17. And it was supposed to be two weeks and then it turned into two months and the permanency um, ended up, uh, you know, by chance. Yeah. Uh, before, I appreciate your question. And before we get to that, yeah, I, yeah. I want to please comment on, you know, you, you discussing the audience as, um, you, you know, as, as, as being so critical to the show. 
Yeah. I would actually not even call them an audience. I mean, yes, by definition, they were an audience. Sure. But I would say that they were participants. And I think it's a very, very important distinction because audience implies to most people, including a lot of the people attending, and that's why we had to shift that perspective when right. they got there. But but we can talk about that later. I don't. Yeah, wanna, you sure did. On, yeah, on I can't wait to get into that for sure. Yeah, but I, I think that the perception of an audience is that they're there to sit back and to watch something, and 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 it makes perfect sense. I mean, yes. you mentioned the word theater, and. Uh, not in an offensive way, but I, it, it, it makes me um, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I think theater implies that you're there to watch a show. Um, I, right. I would almost call it a studio, even though it was the Ed Sullivan Theater by yes. you know, historically. So yes, I have to say that I, I really feel like they weren't an audience. Yes, that's what it was called. Yes, but I, yes. I always, I refer to them as almost a, a character in a show. Yes. It was almost, I, I envisioned it when I was thinking about designing the whole system as uh, a, a form of a triangle. And one, you know, one apex of that triangle was the audience and absent any apex, you know, absent any point in that triangle, um, the show the show will not, I won't say it won't succeed. No, but it's a breaking connection. The, the three points have to be connected to each other. And if one part doesn't connect it, the whole series falls. You lose, yeah. the, form. You, you lose the whole form and it turns into a spaghetti, you know, a, 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 you know, a, a string dangling yeah. instead yeah. of a connected, cohesive, you know, machine where everything is running on all cylinders. And, and this is not true on, I mean, don't get me wrong. Almost every audience is important to the performer. Sure, I, I mean, sure. th that's sure. But I don't know of any show that goes to that went to these lengths um, in the past. I don't know of any currently, and I don't think any ever will again. It's extremely expensive. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. extremely labor intensive. But it was imperative in order to look, to make Dave, to put Dave in a, in a situation where he could give the best performance possible. Yes. I yes. always looked at my job uh, when I kind of said, what is the objective of what I'm doing here? And it was the focal point of any decisions I made. And it was to create an environment to allow Dave to be the best that he can be each and every night. And, and some people watching this may say, well, but why? Why should that be necessary when most other performers go out and they do their show and, and this and that? And uh, there's a lot of reasons for this. Number one, Dave's humor was an acquired taste. It, it, oh, it, sure. Yep. It, it simply was. And in front of the wrong audience, if they were not already... Um, if they hadn't already absorbed that and, and yes. weren't already used to that, Dave could do, the, like we, we alluded to it earlier, but Dave could do a routine that would kill in front of the right people. But my entire career has been um, dedicated to matching content 
along with audiences. And Dave's content, no content is for every audience. I mean, sure. it's, not, it's not just The Late Show, but so many other hosts are much more mainstream and it's kind of go yeah. with the flow. Yeah. And yeah. that's not the niche that we were dealing with here. No, I, and you know what? I'll tell you this, at the, at, the, at the time of this broadcast or the time of the recording, the broadcast is gonna come out a little bit later. Uh, the time of the recording, um, Letterman's uh, interview with President Zelensky just came out and, wow. and it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um, now, part of that, hopefully most of you have seen this by now. I, I assume you have, but I'm not spoiling anything. I'm just giving you a little preview. Part of that, while he was interviewing uh, President Zelensky, there was also cuts to him in different parts of Ukraine, uh, of Dave, I should say, in different parts of Ukraine. One of those places was a, a, a comedy club. He went to see some stand-up uh, in the Ukraine, there's a curfew and all that. Yet here we go. Uh, there's a comedy club that opens up, and 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 Dave actually did a little bit of stand up in front of a Ukrainian audience. He he talked about this. I believe it was an interview in the Washington Post, and and they asked him what that was like, and he said, "Well, um, he goes, if I had another opportunity, I would have nailed it even more." Like, and he did. He he was fine in front of the audience. The footage shows that. But but he even said that you know all these years later, he's like, okay, if I would have kind of known the rhythms, understood the language barrier, the timing, all that. There's all sorts of little nuances that yes. if you get it right, it is a completely different experience. And, and I, I just appreciate where you're coming from. Uh, we're going to definitely get into more of that and, and some of those different nuances. But I want to know, like, nobody gets out of high school and goes, okay, I'm going to learn the science of, 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 of live presentation and the connection to an audience, to an audience and how that audience can be part of this. You know, you're not studying Shakespeare in the park in high school. That, that How did you get into this? How did you get so, so nuanced? Yeah. Thank you uh, for asking. Um, you know, you're right. Uh, I so certainly I started didn't grow up, up um, at a company called Audience. What do I want to do when I grow up? No and, and, uh, you know, was able to identify in this, California. Your your yeah. question is, and uh, they is basically very much appreciated and, and quite wise. And um, I watched producers. So, um, I, I guess look for opportunities in the Again, marketplace. They've gone to all the trouble of creating these shows. To them, when they're writing these things, um, right. to them, this is going to be a smash hit. Yep. They're envisioning, you know, all. Yeah, of nobody this. sets out to make bad entertainment product. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. However, in front of the wrong audience, those dreams get dashed very, very quickly. Yes. And when I watched Audiences Unlimited, it, it, it was a numbers game. It was a factory. And I have to tell you, today, uh, although the landscape has changed completely because now there's so many reality shows that there aren't as many sitcoms that would have live audiences. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say that today, the companies that still do provide audiences, it's bodies and seats. Yeah. Yes, they have a question on, on the application about why do you want to come to the show? But when we get into the specifics about what was involved here, um, that appears to be child's play compared to the system that I developed for The Late Show because it was a necessity. Yeah. So um, at Audiences Unlimited, I would watch producers um, become quite disenchanted with their audiences and, and start to fear, wait a minute, maybe what we have isn't as good as what we thought we had. And so 
I started to think of ways. I mean, in those days, it was the advertising dollars, and it still is to a certain degree, where they really wanted that kind of 25 to 45-year-old sweet spot. Yep. And so I started to think of ways. You see, in Los Angeles, sure, when tourists would come to town, um, this was something they wanted to do. Yeah. But in those days, there would be literally 40 plus sitcoms all taping generally weekly they would take about a week off a month but you would have a lot of overlap yeah and so there was a large quantity of audience members needed all across los angeles yeah and so what would happen is they had to put bodies in seats. I mean, you know, they would book church groups and they would book, uh, well, uh, senior citizen groups that they'd send a bus to go and get these people. And, you know, yeah, senior citizens are great at the Golden Girls, but but senior <laughs> citizens that, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better example, friends probably wouldn't go too well. So right. don't go to the effort of matching the content to the audience. This is what you get. And you may have a hit that really looks like a flop. And, and you know, th- this relates to Dave on so many that's going on. Okay, so so Audience is Unlimited. What yeah. show do you, um, I mean, I think I don't think we're telling tales out of school all these years later. Uh, do you have any examples of shows where uh, you helped them out with uh, back then? Oh, oh, gosh. I mean, some of these shows didn't need it. So I'm just going to give you kind of a list of shows that... Sure. You know, you know, I mean, um, in those days, it was Married with Children. Um, it was Friends. Um, it was the Jeffersons. Um, it was One Day at a Time. Um, I, I mean, you know, sitcom, uh, Head of the Class, Different Strokes, um, Family Matters. I, I mean, all Perfect Strangers. Um, you know, you the filled list the TGIF up. audience. Look at you. Yes, you. Yes, <laughs> you do remember the ABC TGIF audiences. That's right. That's um. So I watched producers get very disenchanted, especially when they were new shows that hadn't aired yet. You know, when a pilot is greenlit. Yes, by, there you go. Yeah, yep. when a, when a pilot is greenlit by a network the producers will, um, you know, go and, and, and usually they get about 13 episodes and then there's something called the back nine, which yep. are the last, if they get picked up, they get to do nine more. Yes. So by the time they start shooting July, August for the fall season, although nowadays there isn't necessarily a fall season. Things are- Yeah, George Schweitzer was on and he talked about uh, then versus now when it came to the cycles before. Sweeps are no longer sweeps in the way that they used to be. And, and, and right. uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a different animal now. Completely. But back then, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was clockwork. It was a oh, real clockwork. Episodes for sweeps, which, yep. which was uh, February, May, and November. And that was for the people who don't know at home, you know, those were the episodes that the ratings mattered the most because that's what they based the advertising dollars on were the ratings during those periods. So did sweeps ever matter for the late show? Um, I think so, especially in the early days. I, I I wasn't involved in the booking of the guests or the content, no. but I but I believe so and it's even something that uh, I would use um, when we were prepping the audience if it was sweeps 
Yeah. We would use that to help generate excitement about the day that they were there to see a show. Yeah. And that it was, it was, you're here for a show during sweeps, which means we've saved our best material. I, I, I do believe in my heart of hearts that that was, that that was true. So it was a consideration uh, at least, even though the late show was a different animal where they produce so many more shows than, uh, than the average uh, it was a completely different deal, but, but at the same time, you know, when, um, you know, for example, if it's, if it's the uh, finale of Survivor, uh, it's a big night on CBS, you know, you want to carry that, that momentum through uh, the whole evening. And certainly Survivor timed that out. In other words, they would, when they were looking at their broadcast schedule, they would literally plan each episode so that it landed in, you know, uh, sweeps month for the finale. Right. So, and I just got I just got the uh, uh, the update as well. Uh, the idea that many times, especially early on when the late show was uh, doing a lot of creative things, they would actually do shoot some of their out of town shows. Uh, and I want to ask you about those, too. Thank you very, very much for that nudged on um, the out of town shows. I mean, you were probably responsible for filling out those audiences too, no, to a degree. Actually, they were before my time. In all of the years that I was there, uh, with 17 years, those were prior to my arrival. We they stopped not- doing. Okay, so you got there in '98, and and I want to. We're it, this is good. We're we're we are circling around to all of this. Um, you got there in '98, and you basically stayed uh, right up until 2015. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't. You didn't know that was going to happen. It started at two oh, weeks, and then two oh, months, and then like what, what, what? But then it, then you got into your groove, and it stayed there, and you created this system. I would much rather focus on once you got there. Um, you know, they they obviously needed, um, you know, a systemization of things uh, for some consistency, and that was the desire. Did they? Did you just come in as a consultant from them, like alone, basically? Basically, basically, yes. Um, first of all, they didn't know what they needed. And, and right. I don't see that as an insult. They didn't know what they needed. As a matter of fact, I was specifically told um, when I arrived by several producers that I would fail. I, I mean, really? I, I, I'm not kidding you. I was specifically told during that two-week period that I will fail. Um, but they were very honest with me that, look, We've tried everything and we've gone through quite a few people in a, in a short period of time yep. and that we're really doing this to as a last ditch effort after we've tried so many different things to, to show Dave that we care, that we hear his concerns and that we are, that, that, that we're trying, you know, that we're, 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 it's not falling on deaf ears to them is what they were trying to demonstrate today. Right. But they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know right. what they wanted or not wanted. I think they know what they wanted. Their, their, their goal was to, yeah. to, to make Dave happy, but they didn't know what, they didn't know how to get from, you know, from A to B. Yeah. It's that, that old, that, it's that, that old cliche. You don't know what you don't know. That That's right. That's yeah. right. And listen, I didn't know what the solution was either when I got there, you know, you I was say. That's right. I was a student of, of, you know, I had to observe exactly what was going, what were they doing? Um, What weren't they doing even more importantly, (laughs) and what needed to be done in order to solve this. And um, I think you're starting to see that this was much more than a two week project. Yeah. And, And then started to work 
um, they didn't want to take a chance of, um, you know, of, of really um, losing that magic. And therefore, that's why I kept getting extended and extended out. So for audiences unlimited, I would see producers get very disenchanted. Yep. And um, I, I knew what they were looking for, for the shows that were really having a problem. They wanted a very specific audience. And that's not what Audiences Unlimited did. So while still at Audiences Unlimited, oh, I was explaining to you that there was such a need for people, but Angelinos were really, really, um, we, we needed Angelinos to attend some of these shows during months when there weren't a lot of tourists around because there was just the sheer number of people that we needed for these audiences. So you needed locals? Absolutely. But, okay. but, 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 the, but the key point here is that to Angelinos, going to a TV show is not something that they really to do. Uh, additionally, the studios, because these tickets were free, yes. um, because these tickets were free, they had to give out way more than they can actually accommodate because the return rate was maybe one out of 10. What? So, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, look, it's a piece of paper. There's no commitment. It oh, wasn't, wow. there was no, there was no, those were physical tickets. There was no online system. There was no confirming. You were giving people a, a, a piece of paper. And, an and opportunity, general, an option, basically. Yeah, Nothing better to do. You can go, we can go see the whatever show. Yeah. Okay. I'll see, we'll see if, uh, you know, if I'm busy or, you know, we'll see what comes up. And it's, it, it by no means is it a, commitment let's put it this way most of the people who took the tickets didn't see it as a commitment no so they would give out way more tickets than they had room to accommodate yeah and you know absolutely there were calculations done on what return rates were and they they tried they tried their best sure to to, to get it close but there were often times when people were turned away so you went to all this effort. That was another reason why people were disenchanted with it. They fight traffic to get there. They get babysitters. They do this. They do that. And then they get there and they don't get in. And because of that, if you do want to get in, you had to get there hours and hours early. Yes. So, so there were so many things about it that really made Angelinos, um, they had a bad taste in their mouth and weren't, you know, jumping at the bed to be able to, um, you know, to, to want to go and do this. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't really a hot attraction. Now, if you're talking something like Friends, once it hits the air. Yeah, yeah no problem. You're, you're yeah, gold no then problem. at that point. That was, a, that was another thing that I um, used to my advantage. I mean, we can talk about that too. But, but just to, to finish this point. So the producers were disenchanted. We yeah. needed Angelinos. Um, so I, I got to thinking, okay, what are all of the reasons why they don't want to come to shows? Why were they so fatigued, so to speak? Um, and, and so I just described that to you. So yeah. I went down that list one thing after another. Okay, the wait in line, the lack of a guarantee, um, you know, the, um, the retake after, re, the, you know, the, the, that situation where it turned into such a long thing. Yeah. Um, and I addressed each of these things. And I, through Audiences Unlimited, basically said, look, let me go to the human resources departments of companies all across Los Angeles. And I said, look, 
I have an opportunity to create a win-win situation. You get to offer these, this VIP experience that's an exclusive thing that nobody can offer anywhere else where your staff will have you know, this experience. They will get there and they'll get in first. Yep, They're going yep. to have the best seats in the house. They're going to have this. They're going to have that. And so as a benefit of their employment there, you get to reward them with this free perk. Yep. So yep. that got those people to come to the show. And then also I was watching, you know, group sales, you probably know is a, in the, in the world of entertainment or anything with an audience, group sales yep. is a, is a very big factor. And they had a For group sure. that audiences unlimited. Yep. So, um, CBS at, at during right bef- right after pilot season. For those people who don't know, pilot season um, is is generally when they shoot one episode of a, a new sitcom, or or actually it's any show. It's not necessarily just a sitcom, but one episode, and the network views it and they they make a decision whether they want to green light it to a series. Okay. I, I'm, I, we're, 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 I love the stage that we're setting here to get to Late Show and to start talking about this. This is important, but just to go back to one of your early points and put an exclamation point on there, you, you brought up a show, Married with Children, okay? So you got married with children during pilot season where the executives are all there on the, ba- on the strength of that one show. Are we going to greenlit, you know, 8, 10, 12, however many other episodes that we're going to do? If you have the right audience with Married with Children, your gold, which they were, which they did, and they were, there was a ruckus audience. They were the right people. I don't know if you coordinated the pilot of Married with Children or not, but whoever did clearly got the right audience in to see Al Bundy um, and and the hooting and the hollering and all that, uh, uh, different from any sitcom. That's not getting green lit if you have, like you said, the Golden Girls prime audience there, right? So, and, and to your point, if you remember. It was really married with children, which gave birth to the Fox network. I no, mean, absolutely. It was the, children the Simpsons. Absolutely. another show later on you know uh um um, uh the jimmy kimmel you know the man show he got his he got really his great like they had the right audience in that in that particular show once it's established you understand the brand that is married with children you understand the brand that is the man show okay people like that are going to flock towards it and think i would love to go see this show but before that you know uh there's a lot of and and you've done a really good job here i want to move to late show You've done a really, really kind of a really good job of of showing um, examples of things that people might not think about, but there are so many little things. Um, you know, Late Show uh, reaches out consultant. Let's get this consultant guy here. What's he see? You know, we've seen other people, all that. When you got to Late Show, without throwing anybody under, under any buses or anything, because they were, uh, you know, a, a fledgling. It's such a unique experience. When you're at 30 Rock and you have all these time, uh, you know, um, a tradition, time honored traditions and all that stuff, that's not what Late Show was. Late Show was given Dave ownership. Worldwide Pants now was uh, helming this thing, and they, like you said, they didn't know what they were doing. 
um, in that regard compared to the, the specificity of what you knew you were doing. So when you got there, were any of these um, kind of cliched mistakes that you're talking about here, these other shows made, were any of those uh, being made at the late show at that point? Like, were there obvious ones where you're like, oh yeah, well, we can improve this and this and this, or was it uh, a puzzle right from the start? Combination, okay. what a, a combination thereof. Um, so certainly um, there were things immediately that I could put my finger on that were um, not going to get the results that they were hoping for. I, I mean, okay. there were um, uh, immediately some things. Okay. But any examples that come to your head right now that are, you know, absolutely. Um, uh, they were basically booking an audience at random and getting very random results. Um, right. when, you know, people requested tickets and they get tickets and, and that was it. See, here's, I think most people, I mean, common sense says if somebody requests tickets to something, they want to see it. So they must be, they must have some interest in it, right? Yep. Not, not, not necessarily, especially, you know, Los Angeles and New York, the late show was a tourist attraction. Absolutely. Wanted to, a lot of people wanted to come for the wrong reasons. And and when I say the wrong reasons, the wrong reasons to us, to them, it's the right reason. And who am I to say what's right or wrong? But in terms of us producing For what you were looking for, the role of this, cast member uh, this this part of the show what you were looking for yes i understand the attitude of why the person is there is important you know people have i, I never I, I didn't originally think of this but as more and more people said it to me it really sunk in that what i did to a certain degree was the equivalent of selecting a jury um as a lawyer selecting a jury so you know you to keep this analogy yeah. you know, going for the next 10 seconds uh, you know <laughs> Um, the reality is that, you know, they may not have been right for the jury. Um, these right. people, they may have been. So describe the, describe the ideal jurist. Uh, what's the ideal audience member for the late show? There was a pretty wide range of, of what could work for us. Okay. And, and I want to say something very important. All of this is a generalization. So, you know, I, it does not mean that somebody that falls out of certain parameters isn't going to be fantastic. No. But, you know, and something else very important. The system did not turn people away because they weren't what we were looking for. Right. At least, at least everybody still got a ticket, at least in the beginning, when I say in the beginning, the system had to iterate. The system yeah. had to change over the years because the, the way, I mean, you know, electronic- Everything changed over the years. Absolutely. When I got there, they were using snail mail for people yeah. to request tickets. Postcards were, postcards were, were everything, you know? Absolutely. Like, uh, that, well, postcards. there you go. You know, like, yeah. like, I mean, they, you know, postcards were everything back then. Absolutely. That was what, exactly what was being used when I got there. Yeah. So, um, you ask about the ideal audience. It, it is a generalization sure. um, and things change. But I do want to say, number one, um, it's a generalization. Number two, um, these are the things that I don't want anybody to think that um, th- th- that this was Dave. This was me. I, in the beginning, I wasn't given as much autonomy as I was later on. Yeah. But this was me. And I, I don't want people to say, oh, well, Dave doesn't like this or Dave doesn't like that. Right. It was my job 
to create, like I said, an environment for him to be the best that he could be. And that meant doing what I thought was right. Yeah, that would be and preferences from Dave, preferences from certain producers, preferences from certain writers, preferences, like preferences from the entire production, you were then in charge of, of, of putting into the hopper uh, for, for, for creating this system. Absolutely. And, and the main thing is to make Dave happy because the, the reality is if Dave's happy, then everybody's going to be happy and it's going to produce the best show. I mean, that, that's, that's the reality. Absolutely. But I do. Uh, you know, Dave once described, and I forget where it was. It might've actually been on late show. It might've been, it might've been talking to, um, uh, to somebody interviewing him after. Um, but anyway, at one point he talked about, the idea and some and somebody said to him well you've got these people that come in and give you a standing ovation every night and it was a way that he of course you know uh he does not accept praise well and he said no no no, you don't dave said you don't understand a standing ovation every night whatever no the in i'm pretty sure he used the word the indoctrination that these people were subjected to before they come into the theater is part of the reason, like I've heard him acknowledge this before and I'm gonna find that quote somewhere and find out where it is because we've talked about it a couple of times on the show. Um, you guys had a system in place and I really wanna dissect that system a little bit. Um, there uh, in the in the uh, the comments about you by one of the producers of the show they talked about a three-pronged approach now i don't assume you got there in 98 and within two or three months you have this three-pronged approach this is something that you developed over the years um I, I the question i have for you you get there in 98 disarray uh a two week turns into two months turns into okay now you know that you're going to be there kind of semi semi-permanently how many years when did you when do you think what year was it uh, that you think that you had it and it was just a matter of, okay, we've got our system in place. Now we're just going to start tweaking from here on in and evolving little things. But when did you build the foundation of it? You know, I, I the foundation was built uh, during the first several months. Okay. Um, it, it was, it, I had a vision and, um, you know, <laughs> It, it, it listen people would be most people would consider themselves very lucky and i count myself amongst them to be able to have um people supporting you if you had a big idea that i felt comfortable going to them with big ideas um because little ideas weren't going to get this done and i think that there are in a lot of professions people who are afraid um, to come up with big ideas because they they think it's a waste of time because they know that they'll bring it to management and management will say well, yeah sure you know carve it into a thousand pieces and not get paid this yeah. or where are the resources and yeah. the the beauty of this was that I did come up with some pretty big ideas that would have scared a lot of people away. So is it, um, is it the size of the staff? Is that one of the ideas? Is the uh, the, the roles of the staff? Staff was one. Um, another was technology. Okay. Um, another was, um, this was unprecedented. This was um, asking them to take a monumental leap. And, you know, the other thing, I, I, I never discussed this, but in retrospect, thinking about it, um, I have to think this was Dave too. Now, when I say Dave, what I mean by then Dave too, Dave is very old school. I, yeah. I, I mean, Dave, you know, Dave would not want an audience, and he's actually, he, he he's used this phrase, monkeyed with. He right. would like to, you know, in a perfect world, 
Yeah. Um, you know, they would show up. We don't have to go through any of this booking process. In a perfect world, people would come in, sit down, respond to the show, and that would be it. The more complexity to this, I think the less that Dave would have approved. Right. And I think that, again, I think he chose to know as little as possible about what was going on because it's so against what the way that he, um, first of all, from the, you know, when he started, um, the way things were and the way that, um, you know, it, it was so simple, it was a lot more simple then. Yeah. And um, yeah. I, I think he is, wants authenticity. He wants, um, you know, a, a real natural experience. And so the more things we do, the further away I think it got, would be getting from his comfort zone. Okay. Um, so for what it's worth, I think those would be the challenges with the big idea. Um, but I, I think that there was a desperation because the reality is that I've heard from a lot of people that the show, it wasn't viable. It's continu- it wasn't viable that it was going to be able to continue at that pace. I appreciate how granular you are able to get at this here because like you say, it isn't, it isn't writing. It's not creating costumes. It's not creating sets. It's not, you know, but it is a very, very important factor to the show make or break. Um, I'm super curious now. I think we've done a really good job of kind of painting. We talk about these big ideas. We talk about these transformative ideas, even in the original, in the intro, when I, I read the comments about you, you know, this three, uh, uh, pronged approach that you, you, you brought to this, let's get into some of the specifics. What are some of the specific things that you, uh, implemented, adjusted, um, created? Absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is the meat and potatoes of this whole thing. Sure. Um, before I get to that, you did, you said something that I would like to comment on, if I may, yeah. please, I'll do it, do it very quickly, but you said, sure, sure. you said it's not writing, it's not costumes, it's something very granular, you know. Well, something in the background is more what I meant to oh, say. No, no, yeah. no, 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 I, I, I completely agree with you. I'm not taking any sort of offense, but Good. Um, that, that exact fact has been the, um, I want to find a word to describe the most magical part of this job and yep. also and also probably at the other end of the spectrum the biggest curse because writers costumers these people after this show ended hopefully and and I know that a lot of them have gone on to other productions and other shows oh yeah yeah you know because it, it transfers you know yep. it, 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 it there's transferability yep in my case, what I did was so, so specific and such a niche, even though I know that I could apply this to any business. Every business has an audience. Every yeah, sure. Absolutely. Audience. Absolutely. And they will make many, many more sales if they create an environment that is conducive to all of that and matching their product to the audience and all that stuff. So this yeah. is very transferable. But yeah, when oh, people, very much so. But when people see it on paper, like in the form of a resume, I can't tell you how much of a struggle this has been for me um, because of the fact that it doesn't 
translate to what I really, really did for this show and what I'm capable of doing for them. Nonetheless, yeah. that's not what you asked about. But when you mentioned that, I felt that it was something that I really wanted to zero in on because yeah. it, it, it's the most, it, it's the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. It's, it's like I, I, I joke about this, but I, I feel like I, it, it, and I'm really joking here, but I, I gave Dave the best years of my life. And, I, and what I mean by that are the working years. You know, sure. I did this during prime of my working years. And when the show ended, here I am in my, you know, mid to late 40s. And uh, I kind of have to start all over again. Whereas yeah. most of my peers were investing time at companies. And actually, you know, they had careers that would last them till the end. And I don't know if I would have stayed as long if I would have known what the cost was going to be to me long term, but I, I because of how specific it was, and I want to talk about Zeus here in, a, in a, before we finish off too. I want to talk about what it is that you do now and how 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 there are people that can uh, can reach out for these, and you're doing such a good job of 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 talking about how how you zero in on things um, and, and building a marketing strategy or a marketing plan or finding an audience, uh, how you're, you're, you've adapted, you're adapting that into the world of business because at the end of the day, it's all sales. It's all, you know, everything, everything comes down to, uh, you know, finding the right person with the right opportunity, with the right set of questions or the right uh, opportunity for them. And it, it, it all comes down to sales. And I don't know that, Again, uh, this is why I'm so fascinated to talk with you about this, David. Um, I know that the average fan would not realize how much thought went into if their butt did or didn't end up in the seat of the Late Show. Um, you certainly did do a good job of, of taking away the idea, oh, that anybody can simply get, you know, present company included here. I worked very hard to get into April 20th, 2015. I worked my ass off to make that happen. Um, I ended up talking to Kevin, one of your, one of your, your, your staff members. I ended up getting on his gold list because in that conversation, uh, he saw something, recognized something. I had some common sense when I said to him on the phone, Hey, listen, um, just so you're aware, I know what you're looking for. I'm going to be dressed nicely. We're going to be dressed professionally. We're going to be crisp. We're going to be ready to laugh. And I'm very, very excited about this. And he's like, okay, when you get there, tell them, you know, you're on Kevin's gold list. And, and the, you know, these are this right here, this type of stuff here, because there's people, notable exceptions, uh, but there are some people where the, they only saw the late show one time. And, and I don't know if that was part of it where you wanted a new, fresh audience. You didn't want return uh, guests necessarily, or you didn't want people that Dave knew, that kind of stuff. Are, are these all parts of the things that you implemented? And, and can, you, can you kind of uh, organize them a little bit? So um, you said several things that, that are going to kind of bring this all together. Right you, on. Businesses needing this type of a thing and marketing. Here's the thing. To me, it a lot of it comes down to positioning, to positioning, uh, and 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 really. Um, oh, I felt lucky. I felt lucky when I got that ticket. Like, well, like it was like, oh man, this is a like you completely turned it around. Uh, in the sales world, they use the phrase takeaway, uh, as opposed to, oh no, just come on down, you know, free tickets for everybody. No, no, no. This was a big deal that I got this. You positioned it very well. I love that you use that phrase. And, and, and along those, thank you. Thank you, by the way. I, I do appreciate that. Um, also, shout out to my entire staff, because honestly, yes, I may have been the person who had the vision, 
but I could not have executed this without my staff. Specifically, I want to mention uh, Bethany Williams and, and Jennifer Ray. Um, but but please, there were um, you know an army of other people, and if I'm not mentioning you by name, I apologize. But please know you know that this was not this would not I couldn't do this without them. So I want I want to make that that very clear. Um, but we we're talking about positioning and. You asked about the, coming to the show and how often and this and that. Yep. I didn't put into place. I just respected the show's wishes, which was yep. that people could come once every six months was kind of the, okay. the, the, the rule. Um, okay. But, but we, we, you know, it's a great segue into, you know, we were talking about how businesses can benefit from what I, what I do um, and talking about positioning. So each audience, I had to find a way to get them to buy into this is going to be a very, very special experience. And I, I genuinely mean it, but there was a lot of positioning going on there. Uh, I could get more into the specifics of that when they got to the show and the whole the audience. Pages and the, the, the people who brought them in and the, the, the process the there. The were trained a certain way. Yep. The speeches were, the words were chosen very, very carefully. Um, did but the pages have to memorize it like it was a script? They did, they yeah, did. Okay. Yeah. However, um, some of them would go off book sometimes. Um, and uh, sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. And sometimes <laughs> they said some things that, uh, uh, you know, I might hear from a distance and I was, uh, you know, it would, uh, um, yeah. It, were you the down there for the seating of every audience? Whenever an audience was being seated, were you seating, around? The seating, yes. Oh, and we say every, uh, there were there were some times when I was working remotely, but if I was there. Okay, yeah. I, very, very involved with the, the, the seating. I would even um, be at the podiums when people checked in just to make sure that, you know, if, if Kevin puts you on the gold list, that uh, you were, you, you know, you were doing him proud by being on the gold. On <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's, hey, we're, we're years out. Um, are there times that think uh, things got a little hinky where you saw somebody on one of those lists and it's like, okay, they're not, something maybe they're uh, i don't know i don't know what it would be but they they come across a little bit rebellious or they're not dressed uh in 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 the right fashion or act, they're acting in a certain way where you're like no we're gonna have to make an adjustment here well yes but the adjustment wasn't you don't get in unless they were drunk or something like yeah, that or but you're not giving the first you know, yeah. political yeah. agenda or gonna shout out or something that, that's another Which story did happen but, Oh, that's a whole nother story. And, and and we could talk forever about this. I mean, there were certain guests on, for example, Howard Stern. Um, I, I think he is brilliant. Um, however, I dreaded when he was going to be on the show because, <laughs> you know, he has his... Uh, Baba his, Booey. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So and enough said about that. You you you, yeah. you get it. You get it. And and that was a whole nother nuance. Like I said, we could talk for for hours about this, but I had to be very, very careful that people weren't coming. We talked about the right reasons and the wrong reasons yep. um, about making sure that people were there 
to see the late show and not just there because there was a specific guest on that they wanted to see right because then they're into the show for 10 minutes but for the rest of the show they're checked you know, out yeah there'd be crickets in there yeah. and um and, and that that that's you know that's the end of that show i mean in terms of you know dave gets the impression that he's in good hands or bad hands so right. um yes so and, and we can talk about that but um i digress so yes there were people who would come to the podium who um here's here's a really good example great one yeah. of, one of the things that um my system checked for was extrovertedness versus introvertedness because i could have people who knew the show like the back of their hands they were the biggest fans of the late show and that's fantastic that's what we're looking for people who appreciate it and get it yep. however if the way that they express their appreciation for dave for the jokes um for everything is to just smile or say to themselves gee that that was clever yeah then we're we're dead in the water. <laughs> the we're introspective dead. audience is not who you're looking for. <laughs> oh, no. and, and don't get me wrong. We, don't, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't turn. If somebody came up to the podium and was ticketed and turned out to be, you know, quite introverted, um, we certainly aren't going to turn them away. However, I can tell you this. We're also not going to put that person right up front no. where we really need Dave to have an energy to feed off of, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so that's an example. And, and yeah. one of the things over the phone that my staff does do is try, one of the things that I designed was to engage you in a conversation and, and, and see how, go, how outgoing you were. But, but the other challenge here, there, there's so much to this again. My conversation other, lasted about three seconds, just so you know, with uh -oh. Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, it was oh, that's because, because of how extroverted I am though. Like, well, I, I was going to say, like, oh, this guy. Yeah. Okay. He's in. <laughs> yeah, I was that, that's a tribute to you because it was immediately apparent that yeah. that you know you you, you were going to be fantastic and you were going to help us to make a great show. Yeah, um, he was like, "There's a deli beside uh, the theater." I'm like, "Oh, Rupert G's Hello Deli." Yeah, absolutely. We're going there before the show, and he's like, "All right, we're done." I was like, oh, I thought you were going to ask me where Paul was from. He's from Thunder Bay. I thought you were going to ask me that. He goes, "Yeah, we're all good." Tell him you're on Kevin's Gold List. <laughs> Well, that's because you 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 got kind of a softball question because you had proved that you were extroverted. Yeah, that's so probably that, yeah. There you go. You there got you a go. softball because yeah. you, you you were extroverted. So, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but that that is the reality. But there's so much. I, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're short on time here. And um, we haven't even talked about this system that you've been asking about. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Let's get into it. But, um, yeah. And, and, and we can, um, <laughs> I keep going back to there. You, you, you spark so many things. I just want to say about, about the positioning thing. We were yeah. talking about positioning and you were asking me about how often somebody could come to the show. And so what I want to say, what I want to say here is that one aspect of the speech that we would give is, look, you're only here this one day. You're only here now. Yeah. You have a direct influence on if this is going to be a great show 
or if this is going to be one of those average shows. And the way that you do that is by the way that you respond. And that was part of my way of trying to communicate that you are participants. You are not just there to watch a show yeah. like you might watch it at home. Yeah. You yeah. influence this show. You play a role here, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's about the positioning. And there was a lot of there were a lot of things that were in that speech that were very, very calculated. Nonetheless, um, that you had moved on and I, I want to respect that. So we'll no, move no, on. No, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're, we're having fun. This is great. I'm glad. Glad somebody is. I mean, I am too, but I, I hope the people at home are having fun too. Okay, uh, <laughs> hey, the three um, things. Let's talk about these three things. Like, uh, like, well, like I, I don't they... know that there was necessarily a number. I, I don't okay. know that there was necessarily um, three things. I will tell you that my original vision was look remember when I let, let's take it from what it was like when I got there and what yeah. I was basically inherited and how it evolved. Yeah. Would that be okay? Yeah. Would that be okay with you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um what I inherited was what you held up, the, the, the postcard. And um the show was ticketing people via snail mail. They would write in and um potentially there was a point as i understand it i wasn't there at the time but that it could be a you know a several year wait before you would actually get your tickets yes and remember we're talking yeah we're, we're, we're talking snail mail mm -hmm. so we're talking people might have moved by then <laughs> people might have formed a chip on their shoulder because they might have felt ignored yeah. um you know, like, well, you know, screw them. They didn't care about me. Um, why should I even want to go to the show anymore? Um, you know, uh, there, it, it, it was, as I said, a very, very random system. And so basically I had to do the polar opposite. I had to take what was a very random system and make it ultra specific. Yep. That was yep. the way that we were going to solve this issue yep. and, and you asked something earlier that i started to talk about and it relates to this you asked me when i you know um when this was kind of set you know yeah, when, when yeah. yeah and and i said to you well it, it was the vision from the beginning and it was implemented you know over the first few months um but it also had to evolve as i mentioned earlier so the system i'm going to describe to you was not the system, you know, when we ended in 2015. Yes. Um, just, just so what I'm trying to communicate to you is that it wasn't that there was a system that lasted 17 years. There were new systems and new things brought in, but it's, I think you will find the original one and the real, the thing that really, you know, kept me there longer than two weeks um, I, I think that is the one that is most worthy of sharing at this point with you and, and uh, the fans yeah. of the show, of the show. Um, so it was very random, as I mentioned, people would get this, they would get physical tickets, not to mention, talk about an overbooking factor, because those were free, because they were sent often to addresses that the people no longer lived there yep. um there was an overbooking factor in those days and you would have people who were turned away and i i personally think that's horrible public relations especially yeah. if you are a big fan of the show oh yeah and people would travel 
very great distances. Across the continent, yep. Thank you, thank you. Yep. And can you imagine all of that excitement pent up and built up and you know you wake up that morning and you're excited because you're going to the late show with david letterman and then can you imagine how deflated you would be if you don't get oh, in heartbroken heartbroken and listen there's fine print on the tickets and the tickets did yep. i mean these are the old tickets there's fine print on there that you know ticket distribution is in excess of uh you know of capacity and you know et cetera et cetera but that doesn't yeah, you're covering your butt but at the end of the day you want very little of those experiences for anybody as humanly possible and unfortunately that is baked into a system that is random where you send out something that has no confirmation process no commitment and no knowledge of really anything about whose hands those tickets are getting into and yes. who's going to occupy that real estate in those in those audiences yes so, you know, we talk about big ideas and, uh, you know, I, I, had, I brainstormed and I, you know, came up with a lot of different scenarios, but the one that made the most sense and really stuck was to treat each audience like a recipe where there were certain ingredients in certain quantities in each and every audience. Right. So when I say that, um, I had devised, oh, uh, three, maybe three prongs. I'm not sure uh, what, what they were referring to, but um, I had three categories. I had A, B, and C. Listen, I could have done a lot more with it, but I also had to somewhat simplify it. You know, with it, this, you know, it wasn't uh, an unlimited budget here. And it I'm also- I'm fascinated. So an ABC, what, what are the ABCs? Oh, yes. So the A person is, and I'm, I'll get to, I created- I think algorithm is a, is a pretty big word for what I did. I, I think that's pushing it. But for lack of a better word at the moment, let's call it an algorithm that defined what an A, a B, and a C was. Okay. So, and the computer came up with this. The computer, I, I developed, um, and, and, and when I say developed, I don't mean the technical development of it. Mm -hmm. I mean the big ideas and then communicated that to somebody who did actually program it for me. Cool. But I created slash developed um, a system in which there were three categories. A's were people that we definitely wanted in that audience. B were people that, you know, were on the fence. Sure, it can go either way. And C was a person that, look, they were invited to, and I'll explain, actually, there's a step before this in terms of how did we put them through the system yeah. had to be invited. And I, I'll, I'll go back to that in a moment. But they were a C um, when they were somebody, look, they requested tickets. We told them they're getting tickets. We're not going to, I mean, we're not going to just suddenly say, oh, sorry, you're not getting tickets anymore. No, but you have a, uh, you have a uh, yeah. You have well, a the, the beauty of the system is that I was able to spread those people out over a, a many, many different episodes. Whereas with the random approach, it was a hodgepodge. There was no chemistry. There was no recipe with a certain quantity of A's, B's, and C's. Yeah. But by doing it this way, I was able to spread these people out who were C's over look, the largest amount of tickets available yep. were for the A category for any given episode. And when those booked up, 
those dates were no longer made available to people who had scored in the A category. So doesn't mean they- This is really cool. Okay, so um, one little, again, because I can get granular too, um, the shows that you uh, had two, the double shows, uh, did you have more A's in those shows than uh, than the than the days where you recorded just once, or was it uh, was it the same either way? No, it was the same either way. In other words, every show was treated as its own entity. Um, so, it, it, you know, on Thursdays and it changed over the seventeen years, but generally it was Thursdays that we doubled up on shows. There was a time when we actually doubled up on Mondays. On Mondays, yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a double show day. Look. I had to make each audience equally strong. So yeah. I wasn't, I couldn't sacrifice one in favor of the other. So the amount of A's, now you do raise a good point. Remember I talked earlier about supply and demand. Yes. So on a double show Thursday, let's say, um, certainly my resources were, um, you know, they, they were diluted a little bit because of the fact that if we had a ton of A's, there's no, there's no problem. Right. If we didn't, maybe I have to, you know, I would always look at each episode and in advance, usually a week in advance and then a couple days in advance, I was monitoring every single show and the recipe of every show. So there may be times when I have to lower the A's and boost the B's, you know, because it's all supply and demand, but I wouldn't, that was never the first choice, you know, that was the first choice, but could that be in this, was that ever a necessity? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, But we established though, that these are options that no other producer for any other show would have uh, to be able to do. You have, you created all these different uh, dials and pulleys and, and levers and options, essentially, uh, that, that is fascinating that you had the ability to do that. That's, that's fascinating to me. Uh, thank you. Um, and I'm not sure if you mean the ability, um, that I, that I came up with it or the ability both. we were able both. to build a system that, both. uh, yep. fantastic. Yeah. yeah both around win-win situation. Um, um, you, you, you bring up, uh, you know, that nobody, no other TV show does this, but I, I want to remind you that, you know, nowadays, of course, you, you see data analysts as yeah. a at almost every company. It's, it's a norm. But in Two those days, too. 1998, that this was a, a very, very foreign concept. And yeah. so, you know, I, I like to think that I, at least for TV, for the entertainment industry, uh, for live audiences, that I pioneered this and revolutionized something uh, that made a difference in people's lives, you know, and, and not just the people's lives in the theater, but hopefully millions of people in the home audience who got to enjoy a show more because they had a host who was just having fun, you know, yeah, having yeah. fun. You've got your ABC. You understand how you're laying it out throughout, uh, you know, the, the 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 booking board as to what's happening in the show schedule. You you understand how you're uh, distributing all of these things. That is a phenomenal tool that you have. Um, but then you you look on whatever date. Oh, it's Fleet Week that week, and 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 you see something. You know, you know that you're going to fill the audience with with servicemen and women. Um, how many times a month, a year did that happen where it was like, okay, now we throw out our entire system because the audience is going to be very specific at that point. Or, or was it just that you would pepper the audience with say the C's that night are going to be these special groups that come in? 
Yeah, so um, nothing that you mentioned on the list was exactly the way it worked, um, but, it, but it was kind of uh, um, a combination. We, we would never put um, just C's in the audience. Um, however, uh, we, when you mentioned the word peppering, um, it actually, we would pepper the specialty crowd, but the system was always at work. So okay, gotcha. um, I, I say always, there were a few occasions where, um, you know, uh, we actually, excuse me, flew in uh, specific audiences. You asked if I traveled yeah. with the show and how great that would have been, but that, that all predated me. So, um, you know, Dave brought in um, audiences. I want to say we did Nashville, Miami, Philadelphia, and I want to say maybe Boston. I don't remember the four, but we brought in audiences um, where they literally flew these people in, and the whole audience consisted of those people. From a certain um, geographic region, yeah. Geographic region, and the entire content of the show was geared around that city. Um, but it was almost like an inside joke for the people who are from those cities. Um, but that I only bring that up as um, the fact that, you know, it, it was the only time that we really had an audience that was 100% system free. Yeah. Um, there may have been a handful of years during Fleet Week when we had a large, if not contingency of, 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 of people who were service people, but, uh, uh, I, I, it, it was very rare that the system would not be in effect. Did you remember? Do you remember the 4 a.m. show? Oh, do I remember the 4 a.m. show? Um, <laughs> that's one of my favorite shows. But when oh, I love hearing this. Okay. Oh, I, I, we well, didn't talk I, about this beforehand either, folks. We did not. We did not. And uh, <laughs> Amy Sedaris, I, I find her, oh, I love her. hysterical. And yeah. The tour of her neighborhood at 4 a.m. I just recently rewatched that episode and I, I, I find myself laughing now after all these years still. But when that concept first came up, when that was suggested, I, I, I don't remember where it came from, but all I know is when I first heard about it, I thought they were out of their minds. <laughs> Getting an audience of 461 people at 4 a.m. I mean, they had to get there, you know, 2 a.m. ish and yeah. all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I, it worked. It worked brilliantly. I thought it was hysterical. I, I, this is what I love about The Late Show and how proud I am to have worked on it because how many shows do something like that? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is so, as you can tell, I, I love innovation. And I think that is so, <laughs> so innovative and so, so cool. Was it a different audience that night or was it business as usual? Just, uh, you know, hey, the tickets look a little bit different and the phone calls are going to be a little bit different. Or, or like, I, I assume there was extra handholding and extra logistics uh, for that one. You know, I don't, to be quite frank with you, as I mentioned, the system evolved over time. Yep. And, you know, the main reason why it evolved over time is that we ran out of eventually snail mail requests because that snail mail became kind of a thing of the past, sure. by and large. And we converted to more of a, a digital system um, yep. in terms of requesting tickets. And so what I'm saying here is that I don't remember when the 4 a.m. show occurred 
what which system which evolution of the system we right, were right. on so i cannot specifically answer for you um you know exactly what went into that specific audience because i don't remember which evolution of the system we were using but okay. i i would have to imagine that there were some exceptions to the system that we that i had to come up with some supplementary um methods to get uh an audience of um you know avid fans uh, I've got to, I want to, I want to show the impressiveness of, uh, of not me, <laughs> very little impressiveness over here. Uh, Don Giller is just unbelievable. Uh, this is real time. We didn't sit, stop tape for this. So before David K audiences, uh, flew were flown in from Indianapolis, St. Louis, Minneapolis, and Denver, 1998 on Chicago, Houston, New Orleans, Miami, Nashville, Philadelphia, Boston, scholarly. I don't know what scholarly is. Schoolery. Uh, 4am show is given two tickets and then gave them my sister and brother-in-law. Don Gillard gave away his 4am tickets. Um, so anyway, those are the cities that you flew okay. in. Uh, okay. uh, you know, I, I hit them, but I, what I did was uh, we did it twice uh, during two different weeks and, and Don very, uh, very efficiently was able to name the others. Yes. Crazy uh, how fast he can do, he can do that. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, the nights that you had, um, Say, say uh, the one that comes to mind right away because it was such a, a moment for me was uh, Eminem, Jay-Z on the roof. When you would have special events on the roof and things like that, um, you know, you saw the wristbands, uh, you know, for certain people and all that. Could you get everybody up there or was it a certain amount of people or was it people who were not in the audience of the show to go up on the roof to watch a musical performance? What was the uh, what was the secret sauce there? So that specific one, um, those were all, I believe, they were not, I was not responsible for the ticketing of those people in that specific situation. I, okay. I don't think they were guests of the network or the music company. I mean, uh, the, the label, they handled that. I, I believe it had to do with all kinds of insurance issues and getting people up, you know, uh, getting up in elevators and, yeah. and how many people at a time we could well, get. That's kind of what I was at. Yeah. That's a, like, like the logistics uh, of that would be just. Huh. And not to mention <laughs> how long of a pause we might have between, you know, ending day, you know, the, the, it was at the end of the show. Yeah. So, Eminem reading the top 10 list versus Eminem performing on the roof. There's a, <laughs> there a huge pause this way. Yeah go right from the content in the theater, get Dave up there, um, or I don't even remember if he announced it from the desk or if he announced it, do you remember? Whether he announced it I from- I feel like he was up there, but yeah. that's so just- getting one person up there versus getting all of those people up there. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned that, but there were other times that did not involve the roof that would involve a performance on the street. And yeah, the marquee or TV on the radio uh, of the fire escapes or whatever. Absolutely. McCartney yeah. being the most famous one, probably on the marquee. Yeah. And there were times in, in cases when there was um, some entertainment outside, we would bring the audience outside because that was a very quick transition. That was a right. matter of opening all the double doors and, yep. you know, inviting people into a kind of a, a holding area to be able to watch that. And, you know, we could start in five or 10 minutes. The momentum was still there. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was another big thing. And we'll talk some other time. Remember to talk about the momentum and keeping it going during commercial breaks at the show, because uh, if we have yeah. that 
if we establish that energy on, you know, in that audience, we need to make sure that it's maintained and that it doesn't fall out at some other point. But um, I only thought of it because we talk about momentum of the audience. So. Well, and that's where, I mean, you had so many tools when you talk about the things that you innovated and all that, but then you also had, you know, the biggest up in Canada, we talk about the home ice advantage or home field advantage, I guess, with football, the home ice advantage you guys had was, was Paul and, and, and the band. I mean, the fact that you had literally a living party sitting there and, 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 uh, you know, them at the beginning of the show with Sly and the Family Stone for so many years, um, the fact that they weren't, it wasn't just a television studio where they're playing uh, a bumper of a song, the beginning of a song, and then a midway point of the song to come back from commercial. No, they're playing all the way through and the audience is feeling that energy and all that. There's so much of this, um, of these little teeny tiny details that just went into, uh, you know, the, the idea of pre-screening the audience without having seen the audience weeks or months in advance. This is the stuff that I love to hear. Uh, let's go through a couple of other little easy logistic things. How big was your staff? Oh, go ahead. One, one note on what you just said about Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, remember what I talked about in traffic school and creating those outtakes. Well, um, look, when, when we have commercial breaks, Dave is quite busy. He's talking to the writers, to the producers, and yeah. he never wanted the audience to feel ignored, but he was busy. He, yeah. you know, he was working, and I didn't want them to feel ignored. So I, what we did, I asked the producers to create a compilation of clips that had no audio, that had physical gags that we're playing uh, in order to also keep them engaged and keep that energy keep up. Keep the party well, going. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you asked what, please? What were you asking? Oh, um, just a note here. Uh, for the McCartney show, Dave announced uh, McCartney from the street at the show's close. He was up on the marquee. Um, so, so uh, you know, the pauses and things like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, that is such a special thing. You're seeing Paul McCartney up there um man that's 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 uh, they'll take a pause for that one that's okay uh no the logistics stuff like how big was your staff um and and what did they what did they do so like you know you're in charge of this entire department you've got different uh you know you've got the folks who are uh you know for lack of a better term the ushers or the pages you've got the people who are actually on the phones uh with people are those ever the same people and they just at the beginning of the day they're on the phone and at the end of the day they're doing that um yeah how, how big was your staff uh, that's a yes and no answer okay. Um, meaning that a lot of the pages graduate to uh, pages are part timers. Yeah. So the pages would graduate often and became uh, the full time staff on the phone. Um, so that would be the, the yes and no. Um, there are times when the pages would help us out on the phones and then go and do a paging shift. Right. But right. Um, yeah, so th that would answer that. Um, uh, you know, there were so many different. Um, wheels here that were cogs in the wheels and everything moving to make this whole thing um, a reality that there was uh, a fairly large staff and it grew over the years. Yep. So page staff was completely different from the full-time staff. Okay. Um, the full-timers, um, there were approximately 10, I'm thinking one, two, and it's uh, anywhere from it, it would fluctuate maybe from eight to ten on the yep. full time, yep. and yep. then um, on the part time, uh, as in the pages, uh, uh, you know, we'd have approximately twenty, give or take. Okay, how many pages to do a show? 
oh, I want to say it now. This is, remember, this is about seven years no, ago. No, yeah, no, no, estimates are fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to say 15. Um, I yeah. want to say Remember, there were 461 people. Absolutely. It was a process. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it covered all different areas and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I just appreciate you, you so much, um, you know, talking about this stuff. I, I'm going to say this here. Uh, I, I just appreciate your professionalism so much because, um, you know, I actually reached out to you very early in the, in the incarnation of this show. Um, and, and, and the, the hesitancy that you had was to do with, uh, you don't want to bury anybody. You are very, very uh, loyal to the brand and to the, the the job. You're very clearly even talking to you today how proud you are of 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 what you you uh, you accomplished and did for that show and and the tenure that you had there. Um, I appreciate that very much. And and um, uh, you know I just appreciate you so much. Now that being said, um, you know, it came to an end. Uh, what was the last night for you like? Where were you? Did you watch the show? We talked to Mark Malkoff about that. You know, the idea of, of staff members watching the show and there was a no-no behind that and all that. Did not you that actually kind of watch it? Yeah, not that day. Um, you know, anybody, uh, generally, I think the back of the house was filled with the staff. Um, <laughs> yes, not, not on the last day. Not on the last day. You know, the last day, it's, it, it, there was so much anticipation and then it was over and it was over so quickly and it, it was hard to believe that that was it you know I, I, I you know over the 17 years i got lost in the whole thing and i really thought it was going to last forever i mean i of course if i really really you know used logic of course it's not going to last forever but i, I yeah it was uh I wish, I wish I could have been more present. I wish I wasn't dealing with so many things and I wish I could have really um, taken it in. Um, because afterwards, I, I have to say that it's, uh, it, it's, it's a bit of a blur. Yeah, well, and I mean, if, I'm not, I don't wanna, I don't wanna betray any confidences or anything like that, but I know how much you appreciated uh, Dave is a performer. I know how much you appreciated, um, you know, the, the the quest for excellence in what you did. And I can understand how you might not um, have been present because you were just trying to constantly like even the, the remarks about you beforehand, how much of a perfectionist you are. Um, and I and I, I, I can understand where you're coming from when you say that. Um, that's, by the way, the reason that this show exists entirely is to take moments that have been skimmed by because there was always another show the next day or whatever and, and, and re-examine these things. And, and, and you're a part of that now. And we're going to continue to do that when we're going to come up with other memories that you, uh, that, that you have. Okay. There is one other question I want to ask you, um, because I think it's important, um, our Christmas episode uh, featured a gal by the name of Marilyn Sargent. Now, one of the things that you um, are, are unbelievably effective at is knowing actual people who have been in the audience multiple times and things like that. You actually recognize some of these people, boots on the ground. You actually, uh, the Dave, uh, the AFLers, the Dave Con people, all of that. Um, that must have been kind of neat to have some of these people over and over again. And, and, and Marilyn, certainly uh, one of those people. Um, were they given special 
uh, anything like how how did your audience uh, or how did your department, I should say, um, deal with them? Well, um, they used to make an annual uh, pilgrimage uh, to the show. Um, yeah. they, uh, they would come as a group. Um, you know, if they requested on their own, most of the time we weren't aware that they were necessarily a member of that group. Um, yep. So they were, you know, in the same category as everybody else. Um, so yeah, they, they would come uh, at least once a year together and they really seemed to enjoy that. And I, I have fond memories of Tony Mendez hosting them and kind of, uh, you know, hanging out with them afterwards and sometimes doing an episode of the, uh, the Tony Mendez show. My contact person um, over uh, with the group unfortunately passed away this year. And so I'll give a, a shout out to her because she was she was really a, a lovely, lovely woman and always cared so deeply for for Dave and, and, and for the rest of the people in the group. Are you familiar with the name Renee Stravitz? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in any event, she was a, a lovely, lovely lady who, um, you know, who really was of service to uh, to the group and also a dear friend to us at the show. Oh, well, I, pre I appreciate you saying that. And, and uh, just with uh, Marilyn was kind of the first member of that uh, of that group who was on here. And that Christmas episode was so special. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have talked to you about that. I think it's really, really important. So thank you for that, too, buddy. Oh, my pleasure. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now. So 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 I mean, you, you talk about the best years of your life. You developed something that was so nuanced and so specific, you know, for that piece of real estate, that city, that building, um, all of the things that you developed were very specific for that. Uh, re-entry issues. Uh, I mean, there had to be some re-entry issues. We've talked to a lot of the staffers about that, but more so, what are you doing now? And, and, if, and if there's somebody out there who wants, who sees this attention to detail and sees what you're doing, talk a little bit about what you're doing now and how people can reach out to you. Oh, that's, that's very nice of you. And by the way, uh, in the beginning, um, you know, yes, I was uh, hesitant, but you know, you, uh, I really feel you are so trustworthy and so professional. And um, the thing that resonated, no, the thing that really resonated with me about you was um, when you used the word, you know, I'm an archivist. Um, that, that to me, oh, really, oh. yeah. No, in my that, Sarah Palin, in my Sarah Palin episode. Yeah. yeah, well, that was what I said to her. I mean, a certain time, I'm an anecdotal archivist. I look at, I look at Mr. Giller. And I mean, that guy is that guy is creating the archive and the curation of things. Uh, but yes, very much so. I, I I want to know, like when I said to Governor Palin, like she's like, oh, they're gonna throw darts at you, and I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm I'm an archivist in the sense that I want to talk about what happened without any malice or or, or prejudice or anything like that. I want to I want to talk about it so people can understand it. You know, that, I appreciate you saying that though. That's very that's yeah. It was almost like the universe was uh, conspiring to bring us together because I had watched that episode and then you happened to check back in with me. And that was when- you know, Fortune's in the follow-up folks. I always, fo always follow up everybody. <laughs> That's what Absolutely. We well, I wanted you as a guest. I, I, and I'm, I'm so grateful that we have this rapport because I I have a lot of other questions and things like that. So I appreciate you saying that, but but let's get back to- let's, uh, Thank no, you for saying no, that. No, I, I really do. So let's get back to you. Uh, the late show ended and I wanted to take what I had created for the show and kind of repurpose it. And I don't mean the same system, but I was so excited about 
finding new ways to help businesses tap into audiences that were previously untapped right. by appealing to them in a different way. For example, and I, you know, I've reached out to so many, I'm a big sports fan. So yeah. I've reached out to so we're many. Both, both hockey fans, by the way. We are, but we're also rivals. We're in the same. But anyway, we, for another day, <laughs> for another day. Um, so, you know, these sports teams that aren't filling their buildings. Yeah. They're, you know, they're selling tickets to games and uh, if somebody is interested in coming to a game, they're going to buy tickets. That's fine. But that has a cap on it. Yep. Why don't you sell an experience? See, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about is to people who may not necessarily be hockey fans or aren't in that, you know, they, 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 they don't know that they like hockey. They say, Oh, I'm not interested in hockey. What about selling instead of selling hockey tickets, create an experience for them to come and enjoy that when your regular fans aren't coming and aren't available you have to pivot yes you have to pivot so i created this this software again i'm not a techie um but i spent all of my savings in order to um bring this system and it, it really involved sports teams and yep. it involved um it, it, it involved businesses and in essence it it created um fundraisers it created money for the community in which these teams played based on teaming up fans teaming up with the athletes by making donations based upon events statistics that happen in real time and the reason why I, I of course it was great that it was helping the community but the thing that I really was envisioning in terms of growing the sport whatever the sport was sure was that there were going to be real time um you know real time notifications to people about what how much money was raised five seconds ago because that home run took place or that goal took place. So oh, wow. all of the fans would join in and would commit to XYZ amount if this event happens. And, and cumulatively, you could have a goal occur and you in, in hockey and you could all of a sudden have had $20,000 just raised. So in real time, games were getting promoted but not in a sports pit, not, you know, yeah. when you it's bigger than that or online. Yeah. Instead, the happenings, the, the events in a game were being promoted in a disruptive new way yeah. that people were starting. Look, there are people who could care less about sports, but in this case, if they care about a cause and all of a sudden yeah. something that's happening in a game is affecting something they care about, this is an example of yeah. what, was trying to build and I, and I built it and I helped the, uh, the American kidney fund. Um, but the bottom line is I could no longer, it wasn't sustainable because it was self-funded and, um, that leads me to where I am today. I'm, I'm consulting for companies, but the reality is that that was a big dream of mine. And, and unfortunately I put all my eggs in that basket and, uh, 
like I said, it's, 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 it's a little bit of a challenge because it's not, what I did doesn't translate, I'm pigeonholed into the entertainment industry and yet nobody else in the entertainment industry really needs what I'm doing or what I did for the late show, even though if this applies to the late show or any business, you know? Yeah. Oh no. And I, I, I get it, but it, it, it comes down again to what, you know, we're circling back to a familiar concept. You don't know what you don't know. I appreciate where you're coming from. And I mean, again, you know, my house is uh, well, I mean, I don't look at this as a startup. I look at this as me kind of, um, Yes. Uh, uh, fulfilling a dream, living a purpose off the side of my desk. But but my wife building, uh, you know, the I've talked about it a little bit on the on the podcast before. She's building a men's mental wellness app. It's all startup, baby. We're all we're like I get it. I understand startup life. Um, it is a lonely road, and it is it is hard. Um, it, it, but the the life lessons you learn from it are are um, uh, you know immeasurable. It's it's um, it's a noble thing. It's a hard thing. Um, now that being said, if people want to, if there is somebody out there who hears this and it's like, no, you know what I like, do you have a, do you have a storefront? Do you have a, like, how do people reach out to you? I know you do. That's why I'm asking. One of the ways that they can get a hold of you is LinkedIn, right? You're on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do they find you? How do they find you there? Uh, it's, it's David K and, uh, they'll, if they put in David, no, K, no middle initial D A V I D K A Y. That's, that's it. And they will certainly okay. recognize the bio based upon, uh, some of the things that we discussed today. And you can, can, you'll consult with anybody and basically see if there's a fit there at that point. Like you're, oh, you're. I, listen, I, I, if I can't make a difference, I, 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 I'm, it's not a match. It's not a match. It has to be a match. I want to be passionate about what I'm doing. I want to believe in, in, look, in closing here, probably the most gratifying part of what I do is to see the smiles on people's faces. When I would stand in the back of that house or really to the side a little bit and get to see the magic that was created by Dave having a great time, by the audience having a great time, and by knowing that I made a difference there, th there's nothing like that. Yeah. And um, to be able to contribute to any business in a way that all stakeholders benefit. I'm not interested in anything that is not a win-win-win situation. If somebody is selling something that I, I don't believe in, that's not going to be a win for the consumer as well, that's not a win-win. You know, it's not just about extracting money from somebody. It's about giving them value and it's about win-win for all stakeholders. So not everything is a match. Not everything is a match. And if I cannot help, then I, I want to be real honest with about that. I, I don't ever want to be in a situation of feeling like I didn't deliver. Well, I, uh, I, I'll tell you this, this is where one of the things I appreciate about you is how transparent you are about things and how um, you are, you know, as, as, as that executive in the letter uh, or the comments about you wrote how much of a perfectionist you are. And that's, that's true. It's right from your, your core, um, including, is this a fit, not a fit, that kind of a thing. Um, I'm going to, we're going to finish up here now. I'm going to, I'm going to do the outro. I'm going to put it back on me into the outro and we can say our goodbye privately. Um, but before I do, uh, just you and I ever talked about this beforehand. Did you ever eat at the Hello Deli? Oh yes, oh yes, plenty of times, plenty of times. Uh, I'm trying to remember what my favorite sandwich was. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, there were so many. I mean, the fact that they were named after staff members was right. was just cool. Never had one named after me, but I'm I'm okay with that. Most people. <laughs> That's, that's the beauty of it, because nobody would even know who the heck I am. So, um, and that's, that's really what's so important about 
this whole job is that it should be seamless. I should be behind the scenes. This wasn't my show, but yes, uh, you know, um, the answer is yes, I hated Hello Deli. Um, well, we have one sponsor here at the Letterman Podcast, one sponsor only, and that's really all we want because we're, you know, uh, for, for, for lack of a better term uh, that comes to my mind, we're saving ourselves. Our whole goal is that we're going to be invited into the pants fold and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We don't want to, we don't want to uh, make any, any real deals, but yeah, absolutely. But the Hello Deli is our number, is our, our only sponsor, Rupert G uh, of the Hello Deli, Rupert and May. If you're in the New York area, uh, go uh, give some patronage to the Hello Deli, uh, get a soup, get a sandwich, get a beverage. And by the way, the only place to buy uh late license late show with david letterman merchandise is the hello deli and i love that that is still the case after all these years uh one of those little things about dave that just is just really delightful that people don't necessarily know about the fact that they have this license to do that is is an unbelievable thing uh if you ever still want any late show with david letterman merchandise head on in or guess what you can go online hello-deli.com uh get a mug get a shirt get a rupert shirt if you ask really nicely rupert may add onions to your online order now um david i can't thank you enough for being here um anything you want to say last before i before i give us the old outro no, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the great work. Oh, man, you're so sweet for saying that. Um, I love the little nuances and learning about the specifics of um, what made Letterman's productions uh, so great. Um, the attention to detail in every single department, um, you know, the standard, the standard of greatness wanted in every aspect of the show. We have done a very good job tonight of showing how uh, important the little things that people wouldn't even necessarily think about um, are David Kay, incredible guest. Can't wait to have him back on and we'll talk about some, uh, uh, now that we've gotten a lot of the heavy lifting kind of done, I thought the origin story, we got the origin story told. And now that we did that, we can talk about some adventures. Um, I appreciate every single person that uh, helps us behind the scenes that has uh, uh, supported us. Uh, thanks to Don Gillard tonight for fact checking and being a part of this as well. Um, I just love this so much. We're building something um, and it's for the love of the game. It's for the love of Letterman and company and all of those things. Uh, this has been another episode of the Letterman podcast with Mike Chisholm. Coincidentally, I am Mike Chisholm. Thank you and good night. Overcoat and underpants. <laughs>